0: Hi, this is Stuart Weems and welcome to the Investopoly podcast. My goal is to give you simple, easy to understand strategies, insights and tips to help you master the game of building wealth. And in this episode, I'd like to talk about uh, everything you need to know about capital gains tax, which might sound like a pretty boring topic, uh, and certainly I would agree with you in that, but it's uh, an important one, uh, particularly as investors, uh, particularly as we hope to generate substantial capital gains um, we want to make sure that we're investi- investigating and utilizing every opportunity to reduce uh, the tax that we might eventually pay. Uh, before we get there, uh, just as a reminder for the month of December, um, we are discounting uh, any book purchases, so Investopoly or Rules of the Lending Game, uh, the two books that uh, two most recent books that I've written. Uh, and we will send them to you for $20 uh, and uh, you won't have to pay for postage. We'll pick up the postage. So if you're interested in something like that, just head to the website. The discount code or coupon, whatever you want to call it, is blog, B-L-O-G. It's not case sensitive, I don't think. Well, I'm pretty sure it's not case sensitive. Uh, and so just use that code, uh, say so $20, uh, no postage. Okay, let's get into the more exciting topic of capital gains tax Uh, and I guess the first thing I will say is it's not necessarily bad. Uh, You know, paying capital gains tax means that you've sold an asset and made a profit, which, of course, is much better than making a loss. Uh, So, you know, if you've got to pay some tax, it's actually not a bad outcome, and it's a good indication that you've done well. Uh, Now, of course, most people would rather pay less tax than more, so, you know, it's important to know the kind of ins and outs. So let's start with the basic the basics, I should say. Uh, How is capital gains tax calculated? Uh, Well, there's uh, four components to the formula. Uh, It's net sale proceeds minus cost base, divided by two, or apply a 50% discount, multiply that amount by your marginal tax rate. Uh, Now, I've got uh, links in the show notes uh, and blog on the website that uh, uh, set this formula out. Maybe it's easier to digest it Uh, than via a podcast but let me talk to each of those four items. So the first one is we start with our net sale proceeds and that really includes anything you've received from the sale of the asset less any direct selling costs. With property that could be advertising, agent fees, legal fees and so forth. With shares or other assets could be brokerage fees or professional fees. Um, If you've gifted or sold the asset to a related party for less than market value, then your deemed sale proceeds is equal to market value. Uh, so uh, whereas if it's an arm-length sale on market sale, uh, then it's really just what you've received less any costs. So that's the starting point. That's what you've, that's what you've received from the asset. Uh, then you've got to subtract from that your what you called your cost base. Uh, and that's really the total cost of the asset. So it obviously includes what you originally paid for that asset. Plus any related um, acquisition costs. So for property, it could be stamp duty, buyers agents' fees, um, uh, uh, advice fees, legal fees, professional fees, etc. Uh, and for shares, it's probably going to be brokerage. Uh, maybe you've got some advice fees. I don't know, legal fees, perhaps, and and so forth. Um, if you've incurred any holding costs uh, during uh, you know the time you've held that asset and haven't claimed a deduction for those costs in the year that they were incurred uh, then you can add them to your cost base and similarly any capital improvements uh, so if you've made any capital improvements you can obviously add that to your cost base less any depreciation or amortisation that you might have claimed uh, during the ownership period so net sale proceeds less cost base Gives you your gross capital gain. Now, if you've owned the 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 asset for more than 12 months, and you're an Australian resident for tax purposes, you're entitled to reduce the net capital gain by 50%. So that gives you what's called your discounted capital gain, uh, and then you need to multiply that amount by your marginal tax rate, because essentially that discounted capital gain will go into your tax return. And it will be taxed at your marginal tax rate. So, for example, if you earn between one hundred and twenty and one hundred eighty thousand dollars a year, your marginal tax rate is thirty nine percent, including the Medicare levy. So, multiply that amount by thirty nine percent. Now, if the gain sends you above the highest marginal tax rate, so over one hundred eighty, well, then anything over one hundred eighty is going to be taxed at the highest marginal tax rate, which is forty seven percent. So. Um, But that's essentially how to calculate uh, what your capital gain uh, might be. And that's pretty relevant. People tend to start thinking about this when they're contemplating selling an asset. And they really need to calculate what will they walk away with in terms of cash uh, after selling the asset. Now, of course, if you make a capital loss, uh, that means that your net sale proceeds are less than your cost base. Um, uh, Losses can be used to offset other capital gains, uh, ...that you've made in that particular year... ...so you obviously should certainly do that. Um, however, losses, capital losses cannot be used to offset other income... ...such as POYG or business income so forth. Uh, instead, you must carry forward a capital loss... Uh, ...and offset it against a future capital gain. Uh, so losses need to be quarantined. Now, we're all familiar that we... ...our main residence doesn't uh, attract uh, capital gains tax... Uh, so let's talk a, a little bit about that. So there's three elements uh, that you need to consider to be eligible for 100% main residence exemption, which means your home doesn't attract capital gains tax. Uh, the first one is that you and your spouse live in it, that, you know, it's actually an only-occupied residence. The second, that it's not used to generate any income, so you're not renting out a room or you haven't rented out previously. And the third is the land size is less than two hectares, less than 200 square meters. Um, so they're the three elements. If you can tick all those three boxes, uh, then you are uh, it's very likely you're entitled to the main residence exemption. Uh, now you and your spouse can only nominate one main residence. So if you've got, if you're lucky enough to have two homes, maybe a city residence and uh, a, a tree side or beachside um, uh, property. Uh, that you occupy from time to time, only one of those properties can be deemed as your main residence. Um, and of course, you'd pick the one that's going to have the, the lower capital growth growth prospects, I would have thought. Um, uh, but essentially, you can only uh, uh, apply one uh, main residence exemption at any one particular time. Uh, now, there's various rules for different situations. You know, such as your main residence being on multiple titles. You know, you've got adjoining vacant land, or if you've got mo- multiple dwellings on the same title, uh, or if you go and subdivide your main residence, etc., etc. So these are very kind of unique circumstances, and it all depends on the rules and and situations. So it's always good to go and speak to, or very um, wise to go and speak to a holistic accountant to get some uh, direct advice. And now what happens if you convert your main residence into an investment property, which is pretty common, uh, people upgrading and then renting out their former home? Uh, Well, the capital gains clock will start to tick, uh, particularly if you've upgraded because now you're claiming another property as a main residence. Uh, You can't continue to claim your former home as a main residence as well. So it'll start attracting capital gains tax. Now how that's calculated depends on the immediate use of that property when you first purchased it. So for example, if you occupied the property immediately after you purchased it, your cost space will be deemed to be the market value on the day that it first became available for rent. So pretty simple. If you bought a a property, 500 grand, you lived in it for a few years, you moved out, uh, it was worth 750,000 when you moved out, uh, and you went uh, upgraded and bought another uh, main residence, uh, well, any uh, growth beyond seven hundred and fifty thousand uh, will start start to become subject to capital gains tax. However, if you initially rented the property, um, so tenanted the property when you first purchased it, then occupied it, uh, and then uh, upgraded at that at that particular time, then you have to prorata the capital gains tax by number of days of ownership. A bit confusing. Let me give you a really simple example. Let's say I went out and bought a property and put a tenant in it for two years. Then I occupied it, uh, so the tenant left, I occupied it for five years, then I rented it out again uh, for say another three years. So I've owned the property for 10 years, um, but for five of those years I've occupied it and for five of those years it's been rented out. In that situation, Um, I will be entitled to half of the main resident exemption. So for half of that time or half of the gain will be tax-free and half of the gain is going to be taxable. And that's because um, it was an investment property right from the beginning. Um, So first day there was a tenant in it as opposed to me occupying it. So a couple of different rules there around renting at a a former home. Um, There's a a, a nice little rule called the six-year rule which allows you to continue to claim a main resident exemption as long as you don't claim another property as a main residence. And it was really put in place to sort of help or assist uh, expats going overseas or um, moving around the country and so forth. So um, it means that if you, you know, if I've got a home, I've lived in it for five years, then I decide to go and work in another state uh, and I'm going to go and rent somewhere else. Um, then I've got up to six years to continue to claim that main resident exemption, even though I'm renting out my home and earning an income from it. Uh, and so that means that if I go and reoccupy the property before that six-year period is up, or I go and sell it, I'm not going to pay any capital gains tax. If I don't do that before the, that that six-year period is, has expired, um, then i lose the the uh, exemption for that period. And it's then really based on the market value of the property at the time. So uh, something that's worthwhile using. Also, if I reoccupy the property before the six years is up and then and then, uh, vacate it again and, and put a tenant in it, uh, well, again, I can I can utilize multiple sort of six-year periods if I'm able to do that. Uh, a good way to sort of, uh, I guess, generate some, uh, some tax-free growth. There's not a lot of things in life that are tax-free. So uh, if they're available, uh, certainly we should try and avail ourselves of them. Uh, so let's talk about some entities now and and some uniqueness, I guess, uh, around you know companies and trusts and super funds. So the, the the most unique thing about a company is that it's not entitled to the 50, 50% capital gains tax discount. Uh, that means that uh, any capital gains in a company are taxed at the flat company tax rate. So really, net sale proceeds minus cost base, times the company tax rate. Now, if there's two company tax rates at the moment, 25% and 30%. So if your company is what's called a base rate entity, uh, it will be entitled to a 25% tax rate. And in that situation, it's not too bad, because really the highest um, uh, individual tax rate for a capital gain is about 23.5%, being half of the top marginal rate of 47%. So in an individual name, you've got 23.5%. In a company, base rate entity is 25%. You're not too far disadvantaged. However, if the company doesn't qualify as a base rate entity, then the capital gain is going to be taxed at 30%. And that starts to become too prohibitive. So if you are going to use a company, it's one thing to really, it's something to really think carefully about, about whether that company will qualify as a base rate entity. And essentially that means, can you distribute some business income into that company so that more than 20% of its total income is business income. In that case, uh, there's a chance you you can qualify as a base rate entity. So something particularly for people who are self-employed that have that flexibility to really think carefully about. If a family trust A family discretionary trust makes a a capital gain. Uh, Of course, we know that family trusts can distribute income and capital gains to various individuals or entities. Uh, It depends on uh, what their trust aid says, but most trusts have very wide sort of distribution powers. Um, And uh, the capital gain retains its tax nature and attributes – that means the capital gain will really be taxed in the hands of the beneficiary and whether that beneficiary can use the 50% discount and whether they can offset against other losses and so forth will really depend on the beneficiary's tax position. Um, So it really kind of just flows through. So if a a family trust distributes to a company, for example, well, that wouldn't be wise because you've lost the 50% capital gains tax discount. Well, wouldn't be wise if the company... um, Uh, didn't have any capital losses, of course, but if it has capital losses, maybe it's a good thing. Uh, Super, I mean, super is always a concessionally taxed environment. And we know that in accumulation phase, so the phase before retirement, uh, super funds are taxed at a flat rate of 15%. Um, Now, with capital gains tax, its discount isn't 50%, it's one third. So essentially, by discounting the gain by one-third, you're essentially reducing the effective tax rate to 10%. So during accumulation phase, all gains are taxed at 10%. Uh, in retirement, as we is very well documented, the tax rate is nil. So no tax on capital gains or income. It's one of the great attractions, I think, of accumulating at least some of your wealth uh, inside super. Now, let's talk about inheritance now and how capital gains tax works with inheritance because often it's a surprise uh, that you inherit the cost base uh, and the nature of the asset from the predecessor, which is obviously the person that's um, gifted um, or, or bequeathed these uh, funds or assets to you. Uh, so that means if you go and subsequently sell an inherited asset, so quite common it's some shares, you know, you get a parcel of shares, you'll be taxed on the full capital gain. Of that, so it really depends on when the predecessor purchased it, how much they paid, uh, and then you'll be taxed according to normal sort of situation as if you were uh, the the original purchaser. Uh, of course, if you're selling someone's former home, um, you still might be able to utilize the main resident exemption, so that could be uh, capital gains tax free. And uh, if the predecessor purchased any assets before 20 September. 1985 so that's sort of what we call a pre CGT asset. then your cost base is deemed to be the market value as it, as at the date of death. Uh, so uh, at least there's no um, uh, capital gain on any unrealized gains until that uh, until the date of death. Uh, so let's talk about how to minimize capital gains tax then now we know the rules. Uh, well, uh, that's a, it, it obviously depends on your circumstances uh, and, uh, most importantly, your long-term plans. So there could be various ways in which you could minimise it, but maybe a couple off the, the cuff, off the top of my head. Um, I think the first one is crystallising a capital gains tax event in the financial year that's going to be most economical. Uh, so if you're two, ways, two years away from retirement, delaying the sale until post-retirement, Uh, and your income, well, I mean, you'll be able to forecast what your taxable income might be in retirement, but it could be nil. uh, And that might save you a bit of money in terms of uh, delaying selling an asset. Uh, Of of course, sell assets in the right order. Uh, So sell assets that are expected to crystallise a capital loss first. Uh, One of the challenges with selling assets, maybe not shares, but property, is you don't know really when, when you're going to be able to sell it. Um, You It might take longer than expected, for example. So at least you can carry forward a capital loss, um, but you're going to have to pay tax on a capital gain whenever it's incurred. So selling the assets that are going to make a loss first makes sense. Uh, Selling down assets gradually uh, over many years is obviously a better thing to do than um, lump sum sales. Uh, Clearly that's easier to do with shares than property, but um, something to consider. Uh, Being a bit more proactive uh, with respect to um, uh, structuring assets, particularly around CGT liabilities, and really your long-term plan will inform you about whether you need to sell down assets at any particular time or at least the likelihood of needing to sell down assets at any particular time. And if that, if that likelihood is high, um, then thinking very carefully about minimising capital gains tax well before you actually make those asset purchases uh, and then being proactive around determining and, and planning the best use of your main residence exemption as well. Again, there's not too many things in life that are tax-free, so uh, if there's a exemption there, you should certainly make good use of it. Okay, so let me just wrap up then and say that when it comes to tax, there's almost always special rules, treatments, and exemptions, which greatly depend on your personal circumstances. So whilst this Uh, podcast uh, is very accurate of course and and seeks to summarize the rules there could very well be something unique about your circumstances which means that they apply differently so therefore it's very important that you go and seek personalized tax advice before you uh, act on any information in the podcast okay that's it for this week Uh, until next week bye for now